0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of In-Depth with Beth and Seth, Plymouth Congregational Church of Minneapolis's weekly podcast on the sermon preached the Sunday before and often so much more. My name is Seth Patterson, your minister for spiritual formation and theater, and today we are discussing a sermon preached on May 9th, 2021, called Fierce Love, colon, The Stewardship of New Understandings, preached and written by Beth Hoffman-Faith. Hi, Beth.
1: Hi, Seth. It's nice to be here. I am Beth Hoffman-Faith. I am the Minister for Congregational Care and Worship at Plymouth. And yes, I was the preacher yesterday. Talking about
0: love. I like the colon in the title. It's very (laughs) academic of you. Title, colon, more title.
1: Oh my goodness. Did I stew and stew over that title? <laughs> I really, I had many different working titles and Doug every day was like sermon title, sermon title. Beth, you got a sermon title. There's a deadline. So, right.
0: Remember the before times when there was bulletins being physically printed that we had to have a sermon title by like Tuesday. I would often come up with a title having no clue what I was going to talk about. And just I
1: know. I've, I actually think fits. about that a lot and the because we'd need it for the sign boards outside oh because they were done
0: manually
1: yes so then we had to have it even by monday and oftentimes and paula was always great for this you know she'd have this awesome title and her sermon would have nothing to do with the title (laughs) yeah (laughs) but it looked good on the signboard
0: that's right so your title was again Fierce love, colon, the stewardship of new understandings. And with that, you used the scripture from John 15 verses 9 through 17, which talks so much about love Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and specifically says, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends.
1: Mm, That is this verse. That is the verse that gave me the biggest pause, I would say.
0: Yeah. So, Beth, you talk a little bit about this at the beginning of your sermon. You you said you were excited to preach about love, and then when it came down to it, you were less excited. Tell me about that.
1: Well, right. And so I think listeners should know that when we're planning a sermon series, we the three of us, Dwayne, Seth, and myself, we sit at the table. Seth is the king of the whiteboard, <laughs> likes to write on the whiteboard.
0: Eats. I, I just don't like to sit down. <laughs> it gives me a reason to stand up.
1: We toss out ideas, we talk about what the scripture passages are in the lectionary, do we want to stay with the lectionary, go off lectionary, what's a theme or thread that might hold a series of sermons together in a particular season. And we are in the season of Easter. People may know or not know that the Easter season is not just about a day, but it's several weeks, lasts until the day of Pentecost, Penta being 50, 50 days post-Easter. So in this time of Easter, uh, we often focus on what Easter means, which is resurrection. And what does that look like in this time and place? And we settled on this kind of broad understanding of stewardship, wanting to talk about stewardship outside of the way we typically talk about it at church, which is around money and finances, knowing that that's a significant part of stewardship. But it's not the only way we are stewards
0: I really wow. enjoyed this series. I, I liked the idea of, and it seems that when I've, the little bit I've heard back from people, people seem to appreciate the way that we are expanding the idea of being a stewardship of something, stewards of something.
1: Right. I think, I think it is really important to consider what are we stewards of Earth Sunday gave us a beautiful entry into this particular theme as we talk about being stewards of the earth. And then that sort of launched us into other things that we steward. And so we looked at the passages for today. It was my turn to preach. I'm like, oh, love, I'll do it on the stewardship of love. That sounds great.
0: Now, who that was, want to talk about a love? a quote. <laughs> you chose it and you said that's, uh, I don't know if you said that sounds great, but you, you almost did.
1: I was excited because I thought, who doesn't want to talk about love? And the, you know, stewardship means to provide caring oversight. You know, how are we stewards of love? And then
0: Stewards of Love sounds like an 80s pop song.
1: (laughs) Maybe it is. Annie
0: Lennox and her new hit, Steward of Love.
1: I didn't even think about that, but you're right. Yes. And actually, I think that was one of my working titles, Stewards of Love, and I just couldn't go there. So reading this particular passage of scripture where Jesus is again, as I stated in the sermon, providing both instruction and preparation for his disciples as he is getting ready for what he knows is the end of his earthly life. And this mandate that we love one another, we've heard this from Jesus before. If you have dabbled your toe in Christianity or have been a lot, lifelong Christian, this, those three words, love one another, should be imprinted on our spirit. But boy, we have yet to figure out what that really means.
0: And Christian's start to slice the concept of love in order to fit how they don't have to do it. Like the thing that comes up in my mind is the phrase, hate the sin, but love the sinner, which often is used like, oh, we don't hate people who are gay. We just hate gayness.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I think it's pure bullpucky, um, how you, you, you can separate those things. But that that's a way that people, often Christians, will try to hold on to that anchor of love while also just doing what they want.
1: Right. Or sitting in great judgment of others, right? Which doesn't really fit to me with the understanding of love. Um, We're going on this
0: crusade to take back a city and kill a bunch of people, but we're doing it for the love of Jesus.
1: Yes. (laughs) Right. How many things, how many horrible, horrible things have been done in the name of loving Jesus? It continues to startle me, even though I, I, I live in the real world. And I know. I also think it's because we're very careless with the word love. I, and I tried to mm-hmm. offer an illustration of that in the beginning. I no, loved
0: your illustration, Beth.
1: <laughs> I did get a comment with someone who wrote me and said, I loved, no, I take that back. I really liked your sermon. And I came across in my reading for this, you know, a quote that I also used in the sermon about how theologians are, you know, we are to be careful with words. And mm-hmm. I think we're all being called to be theologians right now, the care of, Of words is really important in this time. And so when we say love, what is that meaning? And we want to make it this sort of gooey emotion about how much we really like something. You know, I'm just as guilty as anyone else. I love chocolate. I love spending time with my children. I love going for a walk in the park. I love to plant flowers. I mean, all those things are true, but they they all equal. Well, right. And they diminish the magnificence of the word. Particularly in the way that Jesus used it.
0: I was inspired by your sermon. And similarly, I say, I love you to my wife. And I realized that, yeah, same thing. I We both say, I love that song. Well, that's different. It doesn't equal. So I've been trying to come up with something to replace it mm. with her. And so what I'm practicing right now is to say, me ato a ti in Spanish. It means mm. I bind myself to you. Mm. Because that's really what I'm saying when I say I love you. I'm saying I've bound myself. My life and your life are bound together. And that's I beautiful. commit to that. May It
1: reminds me of covenant. God,
0: doesn't it? Well, but before we go too far down talking about what the I said train my life. That's a song, train. isn't it? <laughs> it's probably multiple songs. I want to talk a bit about your very last paragraph, and I know that we often go through these things sequentially, but I was really struck by your last paragraph, and I feel in some ways like that could have been (laughs) every sermon. I mean, this really is the crux of the whole thing, and I'm just going to read it. Friends, and I call you friends with great meaning, which also I loved. I do not do so lightly. Our cruel world is untenable. Let us do the work we need to do to bring about resurrection. Let us lay down all of our prior understandings of love and instead become stewards of fierce love and action, not a verb. The life we save might just be our own. That is Christianity. The world has rules that are painful and destructive and oppressive and marginalized and marginalizing. So we're trying to do a different thing and it's rooted in love which is an action, not just a thing, not just liking. I I just thought that paragraph could be the sermon every week for a year until forever, until we do it. And then we can expand until we do it. We need to keep being reminded of that.
1: It's my hope in the sermon. And I think I said this to you before I preached yesterday that I'm doing in my sermon, what I tend to get annoyed by other sermons with, (laughs) with, and that I'm not, I didn't give any sort of concrete ways to do love in the world. I didn't offer instructions. I just did not. My hope was to open people's minds to, to consider the word and the meaning in a different way and to begin to reframe our understanding of love or to the very least be very thoughtful about the way we use the word and then how we live the word out. But As I was writing this sermon, I really, and I name it in the sermon, so weighted down by the cruelty in the world. And I know many of us are grappling with this right now. Like, what could we possibly do to make things different, to release and be love in the world? And, you know, again and again and again, I think it comes back to relationship. You know, I, I talked in the sermon about love. Really, the way Jesus talks about love, it's about being for someone. It's about standing, not even with, but standing in place of like you are willing to place your life before someone's own and and you would stand in front of them in protection. You would stand with them um, so they don't get hurt. I think there's a lot of ways we can do that, but we first, we need to distance ourselves from this sort of simple way we have come to know and understand love.
0: Words matter. The way we use words matter. They're not sufficient. It doesn't end at words, but they matter. And when we dilute a word like love that is central to the work of the world, but also how I feel about chicken, (laughs) like that's a problem. (laughs) I know.
1: I also realize that we have listeners who have, again, heard probably hundreds of sermons on this mandate. We have (laughs) wrestled with love one of (laughs) I know. We have wrestled with those three words since we knew they were ever uttered or commanded because we just don't seem to get it. And by we I mean humanity. Or like you had said earlier, we couch it in some kind of theological belief as a veil to spew really hatred and judgment. We do things for the love of Jesus, that are very hurtful to other people, and which I don't also, get at all.
0: It baffles me mm-hmm. and, and it angers me to be in the same club as people who do that. Um, yeah,
1: I, I agree, which is why we progressive Christians, you know, we who do want to take this mandate and transform the world with it, we need to take some risk. We need to lay down
0: our life. Risk? Nope. Yeah.
1: We need to step outside of our comfort zone and we need to really examine all the things that keep us from exemplifying that kind of love in the world. And it I rem- named some of those.
0: You did. It reminds me of something we talked about, I think last week, about last week's sermon, although that seems like a long time ago. Now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. Which is was this last week where we talked about Dwayne and the Early Christians sharing everything, and how people have said, "Wow, well, ah, that's just a utopian vision of how mm-hmm. things were." I wonder if that's part of what happens with love, as we want it to happen, but we don't really think it's possible, so we don't really invest in it mm-hmm. because it's utopian. I mean, in the end, what happens in the political sphere and the cultural sphere? Those things matter to me, but love is going to be something that is just nice to say, nice to want. I wish somebody would make it happen.
1: Mm, Even more reason, right, to recreate our understanding of love, to make it more powerful, therefore, because I really can't think of anything more powerful than the command to love one another without condition, without restriction, without boundaries that we place, without judgment or prejudice, love one another.
0: Which also doesn't mean we have to like everything about each other or even agree and that's part of what i think the love gets subsumed into this into this utopian vision which mm. is problematic of it being perfect
1: i right. can't i often ourself. disagree
0: with people that i love deeply mm. i often dislike things that people do that i love deeply but i still love them right, right. do you love everything that your children do no but you not love at that but you love them unconditionally
1: always Except that, and I'm not disagreeing with you, except I want to expand that. So how then do you, it's easy when we talk about people in our life who we love a lot, our children, our spouses, our friends, but Jesus is talking about practicing love for, with everyone.
0: uh huh. Lots of people we don't know, Romans. people we're
1: afraid of, people yeah. that look different from people who speak a different language, have a different skin color. Yeah, that's where it gets complicated.
0: I read this morning that in the last 30 days, there have been 1,300 significant complaints about passenger behavior on airplanes that often result in airplanes not taking off, turning around, somebody being kicked off or fined. In the previous 10 years was that same number. So in the last 30 days, we've had the same number of complaints than in the previous decade. So you're on an airplane with somebody. How do you love that human being and really dislike and disagree with everything they're saying? and be mad that the plane's turning around, and be upset that you're going to be late, and, 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 yet still love that person. How? Well,
1: I would suppose that Jesus might say, you get out of your seat, you go sit next to the person, and you practice relationship with them, no matter how hard or how scary or how intimidating or how, whatever it is, that you stand with them in their own disobedience, I guess.
0: Which is compassion, at least according to the definition that I really like by Pema Chodron, which is to see the darkness in yourself that you see in others, or maybe it's vice versa. And I'm paraphrasing. Recognizing the parts of you that would do that same thing. Mm. You might not do it, but you could.
1: That's interesting because I was talking to my brother about this sermon before I preached it. My brother is a practicing Buddhist. And so he said to me, fierce love. Hmm. In Buddhism, there's something called fierce compassion, Uh which is also known as wrath. And I said, hmm. And he said, he gave me an example of it's, it's when you, react in a way to protect someone else but that it it's it can almost be perceived as aggressive he said so maybe your child is going to touch a hot stove and you startle them but, no don't do that you know yeah. and so you sound wrathful but you're really acting out in compassion and it was a sort of a fascinating conversation and again making making me see the intersections between our different faith systems that are really powerful because i quoted sorry oh i was just going to say as christians I hear the word wrath and I think of a wrathful God who's, you know, issuing judgment. But, you know, again, if we take these words that we think hold one connotation and begin to expand them into a different meaning, maybe that's when transformation can happen.
0: I quoted the Dalai Lama about something similar and used in the quote, it said wrathful compassion. Mm -hmm. And I love that phrase because the part that precedes it is, Other people's suffering should make you angry. It should. Mm
1: -hmm. And you
0: should react with wrathful compassion. There's a whole segment of Christian theology in which wrathful love, God's wrathful love upon us is a piece of it. That tension between wrath and love being what is God. Kitsou who was a Japanese theologian right after the atomic bombs were dropped. This was a huge piece of his theology. That wrathful love is God. Hmm. We have some
1: more preaching to do, Seth. We've got got ideas to explore here.
0: We do. And we are out of time to explore them right now. How about that? Like, who would have guessed the concept of love would have taken us a whole 20 minutes to talk about?
1: (laughs) Well, friends, I really hope that you spend some time this week thinking about what love looks like. And means to you and your world and to the wider world, maybe reframing things a bit. Take a risk. Take a risk for love. What? That that could have been for my other sermon title, maybe. Take a risk for love.
0: That's Annie Lennox's (laughs) B-side. Risk for love. Stewards of love and the B-side risks for love. Friends, be well. Enjoy the warming weather and the growing world.